So here we are in our journey through Mark's gospel, and we've come now to chapter 14, and we've got just a few chapters left. We're probably going to um, take, take our studies in Mark probably right up close to Christmas time, you know, early December probably. We'll finish up with Mark, and then we'll, we'll do a, a few things concerning Christmas over the holidays. And then when we come into the new year, you know, we have missions. We have some different things happening. So, But I think we'll be in Mark pretty much for the rest of the year as we go through these final couple of chapters here. But today we're going to look at the story that we read in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, the story of this young woman who gives an extraordinary gift to Jesus, who is ironically criticized for it by the very people that should have been joining in, in uh, you know, the, the giving, and, and then also this young woman who is defended by Jesus. He defends her. And he also says about her that what she's done is so significant that wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, her story is going to be told. Now, just think about that for a moment. Uh, here at the time, Jesus is, uh, you know, he, he's in the land of Israel. He's seen by many to be the savior, but by many he's... Uh, being considered a, a false messiah. He's got just a small band full of people that are committed to him and loyal to him. And he says at this point, he says that his gospel is going to go around the world. Wow, that's ambitious. This message is going to go around the world. Well, he was absolutely right, wasn't he? And of course, he knew that because uh, he's the son of God. He wasn't just uh, a peasant as he appeared to be, he was God's son, but he's prophesying at this stage that the gospel is going to go around the world. And just think of the billions of people throughout history that have heard the story of this young woman because of what Jesus said. And here we are today, approximately 2,000 years later, and we are talking about this young woman. Amazing. So what we want to do today is we want to to look at the story, but this story appears three times in the New Testaments. It appears in Matthew's um, account, and it appears, of course, here in Mark, but it also appears in the Gospel of John. And so I want you to flip over with me to John's Gospel in the 12th chapter, and I want us to read the account from John's perspective, because John gives us some details that are important that are not given to us in the other two gospels. Mainly, he gives us details about the, the, the people who were intimately involved here. And John even identifies for us who the woman is, which the other two gospel accounts do not do that. So here in John chapter 12, uh, verses one through eight. Let me read it to you. It says, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary 
took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. So where, where Matthew and Mark are uh, generalizing, John gives us specific details about each of the, the, the persons involved here. So first thing I want to do is just quickly walk us through uh, the, the different people that are mentioned. So back in the, the other two accounts, Simon the leper. So this happens in the home of Simon the leper. Who was Simon the leper? We don't know. Uh, he was Simon who had undoubtedly previously been a leper, but had been healed by Jesus. Because of course, if he was currently a leper, he would not, uh, under the law, be able to have any association with anybody, not that kind of close association. So we can... Um, we can take that as, as a fact that Jesus had healed him. And so it was in his home in Bethany that this happened. Now, we know that uh, the, uh, some of the other people mentioned here, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, they were from this little town. So they're all gathered together in the house of Simon. Bethany was a little uh, village, really, uh, just about two miles east of Jerusalem. So if you were to go out the eastern gate of Jerusalem, you were to hike up the Mount of Olives just there on the other side of the Mount of Olives. This is where you would have found this little town of Bethlehem. So Simon is there and Lazarus is there. And, and notice what it says about Lazarus. Lazarus, who had been dead, was seated at the table with him. Where, where else ever could you read anything or, or, or hear of anything about a person attending a dinner who had been dead? I, I mean, you know, that just doesn't work, right? If you, if you died, you stay dead. But unless Jesus is around. And so uh, this man, Lazarus, he had died. Now, remember, he is the brother of Martha. So Martha is now mentioned. And Martha served. And we know from another passage that we'll look at later that that was Martha's uh, thing. She, she was a person who really served. And now we discover that the woman with the alabaster box is none other than Mary. Mary of Bethany. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Now, just so you know, because somebody asked me this in between services, there's another story in Luke's gospel about a woman who comes into a home and she uh, begins to, she falls at the feet of Jesus. She begins to, um, 
she's weeping and she begins to wash her, uh, the feet of Jesus with her tears and, and wipe his feet with her hair. That is a different story. It's not the same person. It's an entirely different context. That's in the home of a Pharisee. And that is a woman who had a background, obviously a sinful background. So even though there's similarities, it's not the same story. Just so you know. So this is Mary. She's known as Mary of Bethany. That was the, the town, as I said, that she was from. And she's the one who brings this extravagant gift and um, gives it to Jesus. And then there's one other person that's mentioned here, and that is Judas. Now, in Matthew and in Mark, when they talk about the criticism that comes to Mary, uh, Matthew says that the criticism came from the, the disciples. He just uses that word, some, uh, the disciples. Mark is even more general. Mark says some, some criticized. But here, John tells us that the root of this criticism came from Judas. And John also tells us that it wasn't because Judas cared for the poor. He did not care for the poor. Judas, John tells us bluntly, was a thief. And he saw this as a waste because uh, he was hoping it could be sold and it could then be deposited in the treasury that he had the charge of so he could take some of it. So it's this man Judas, this false apostle, this one who will ultimately betray Jesus, he's the one who stirs up the, the hostility against this uh, gift that's coming from this young woman. So with that as our background, I, I want to look at Mary and um, I want to look at her as a worshiper. And then I, I want to uh, have us just talk about worship itself. And then at the end, I want to bring it around to, to looking once again at Mary to see her as a mentor for us in worship. We can learn from Mary how we can become people who worship in the same kind of way that she did, a way that Jesus described as a beautiful thing. To, to Jesus, this was a beautiful thing. And so first of all, Mary... Uh, the worshiper. And we'll just look at a few things here. Um, her worship was, first of all, it was extravagant. This is an extravagant gift. This, this uh, perfume, this spikenard, it was a, a relatively small amount, but it was very, very, very expensive. It cost a year's wage. So 300 denarii, denarii was a, was a day's wage. Of course, 300, you know, 365 days, 360 days. Um, you, you've got basically a year's wage there. So Mary holds nothing back. Her gift is extravagant. She's taking undoubtedly what would be her most valued possession. She, th this, this would be it. This would probably be like her you know, her whole life savings, if you will. And she's just saying, I, I want to give this unreservedly to Jesus. And so we see it is an extravagant gift. Her worship was extravagant. We see secondly, that her worship was costly. Uh, costly, not 
in the same sense of what we're talking about here, the, the financial cost of it, but it was costly to her personally because it brought her under fire. It cost her her comfort. She came under this criticism because of this gift that she offered. Now, the Mark passage that we read in the New King James Version, it says that uh, when Jesus refers to what what she did, uh, it says there that she did a good work for me. The, The ESV and the NIV say that what, in describing what she did, that she did a beautiful thing or a beautiful deed. And that's really a, a better translation than a good work. So Jesus saw this as a beautiful thing, but these men were highly critical of her for that. And when it, when it speaks of them um, criticizing her, it wasn't that they were just murmuring among themselves about how, you know, how could she waste this? What, what, it, what the text actually tells us is that they scolded her. Now think about this. So here's a woman, and she's undoubtedly a young woman. She's in the midst of these men. And this was culturally, in a sense, awkward, you know, somewhat unacceptable culturally, but Mary doesn't care. She's, she's going to worship Jesus. But they openly, angrily scolded her. Think about that. So here's somebody who's just pouring out their, their affection to Jesus in worship. And, and this group of guys stirred up by one in particular, Judas, they're stirred up and they began to verbally abuse her. They begin to just scold her and angrily criticize what she's doing. So we see it was costly. But we also see that Mary was courageous because she endured it. She didn't draw back. She didn't withdraw her affections. She stood her ground. And we see the courage of Mary in doing that. And of course, Jesus then comes to her defense. And I love the way, just the terse way it's stated, Jesus said, leave her alone. You could imagine that all of a sudden everybody was like, oh, Jesus is not feeling about this the way Judas is. <laughs> and the way now they've, they've been uh, affected by Judas's hypocrisy and his sin. But Jesus just says, leave her alone. She's done a good work for me. Now, this is the next thing we see, that Mary's worship was thoughtful. Mary, Jesus said that she's doing this in preparation for my burial. At this point, the men in the room still are trying to figure out what it means that Jesus is going to die. At this point, they still don't get it. They, they, the cross, all of that, they, they, they still, at this point, they're, they're clueless. But Mary, she's taken to heart the things that Jesus said. 
And Jesus had been telling them that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be turned over to the authorities, that he's going to be beaten, that he's going to be abused, and that he's going to be crucified and he's going to die. And it just goes in one ear and out the other for the, the disciples, but not Mary. Mary is thoughtful. Where, where they're thinking about, like, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom when you set up the kingdom? That's, that's what's on their mind. Mary's thinking deeply about Jesus. And as she thinks through these things, she gains insight and she understands that this is a reality, that Jesus really is going to die. And so she brings this most valuable thing that she owns and she does this in preparation for his burial. And we see finally that she was commended. Her worship was commended. Jesus praised her for her act of love. And then Jesus declared that uh, her act of love would be recorded and spread throughout the whole world. That's how uh, much of a beautiful thing that was to the Lord. Now, when we think about worship, this is the first thing that I want us to think about. Worship is a beautiful thing. This is, this is something that we have the privilege of, of being able to do. Now, remember back in the Old Testament period, there was a, an, a very elaborate system that was established by God's direction to Moses. I've just been reading through Exodus right now, and, and I, I keep highlighting in my Bible, because I have a newer Bible, um, I keep highlighting where God says to Moses when he's giving instruction about the, the tabernacle, about the priesthood, about the garments and all of those things, God says, oh, says this over and over again, make sure you make it according to the pattern that was shown you. So God is the one who initiates this whole system of worship. And he gives the blueprint basically to Moses and says, this is how you're going to make it. And make sure you do it precisely. Make sure you do it exactly the way it is to be done. God is interested in worship. He's interested in his people worshiping him. As a matter of fact, Jesus would tell us in John's gospel at a certain point that God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, why, why does God delight so much in worship? Now, some skeptics and some people that are critical of the Bible and critical of God, they insinuate that, oh, you know, God needs to be worshipped because he's insecure, and what kind of a God is that? And uh, God's on a, he must have a lot of pride. He's on a massive ego trip. He wants everybody to worship him. Uh, let's just understand this. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need your worship, my worship. It didn't matter if the whole world uh, refused to worship him. None of that matters. God is, he's self-sufficient. There's nothing lacking in God. It's not like he's got a low self-image and if we can just get enough praise going, it's going to make him feel better about himself. And so he's trying to get as many people as he can to worship him. That is absolutely not the case. But... It is true, and let's just think about it on the human level. Let's, let's just say 
and I'll, I'll take the example from being a parent or, or even a grandparent. Uh, you know, I, I do things for my kids. I do things for my grandchildren. I love to do it. I do it really just because I love them. And whatever that means, you know, maybe I'm just, you know, I've, I've got a gift for them or I've, I've done something to benefit them or to bless them. And I just do it because I delight in doing it. But even, even though I'm, I'm never doing it so in the end I can get them to go, wow, dad, you're really like the greatest dad ever. You know, man, I'm going to tweet this out. I've got the best dad in the world. You know, I, 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 my motive is never, <laughs> ever that. But when they say thank you, when they say, gosh, dad, you are the best, <laughs> To me, personally, when they say it, you know what? I love that. I, that's not why I did it. I wasn't looking for that. I did it because I love them. But I also, that's delightful to have that reciprocal thing where they come back and they say that. So God has done everything. We, in him, we live, we move, we have our being. We have our entire existence because of him. And for us to come back to him and say, thank you. Lord, I, I, I am so um, just, I, I'm in awe of your kindness and your goodness. I, I just so appreciate that. Well, that delights the heart of God. It's not that he needs it, but, but it's, it delights him, just like it would delight us. So that makes sense if you think about it in those terms. God delights in our worship. But actually, we need to worship God. Because if you're not worshiping God, the true God, you're worshiping something. Everybody worships something. And if you're not worshiping the true and the living God, then whatever it is you're worshiping, you're becoming like that thing. And you are uh, internally destroying yourself. And ultimately, you will self-destruct and you'll take other people along with you. That's just human nature. We worship. We are worshipers. We were created for that. So, worshiping... Uh, in the end, is, is beneficial to us. It's for our benefit that we do not worship the wrong thing that's going to des- destroy us, but we worship the, the one who is worthy of worship. But as I said, God delights in our worship. Now, we think often about worship. It's our terminology that we use nowadays. We think often about worship. Um, we think about it as singing like we've already done here this morning. So we come in and we, we use this terminology. We say this, it's not actually um, technically correct, but we all know what we're talking about. But we'd say, okay, let's, you know, let's worship, which means the band's going to lead us in a song. Now that is not technically worship, but it can be worship. And I'm going to show you that in a minute from a couple of the Psalms. But, but what worship really is, is it's the expression of devotion from our lives to God. We read about Abraham that he worshiped God. Um, He never sang a song that we have any record of, but he worshiped God by obeying God. He worshiped God by by doing the things that God uh, called him to do. And Paul would say this in Romans chapter 12. uh, He says that 
our um, spiritual act of worship, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, our spiritual act of worship, or verse 1, is um, to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual act of worship. So that, that's our worship. Our worship is we, we've given ourselves to God. That, that's where worship begins. But we can worship the Lord through song. And not only can we, but we should. Listen to what it says in a few of the Psalms. I, I was reading through these Psalms this week in the, in the 90s. And I just, I came across these Psalms that speak specifically of music. And let me read to you from Psalm 92, Psalm 95, and Psalm 96. So Psalm 92 verses one and two say this. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. It is good to praise the Lord and to make music. So that, that is a way that we express our worship to God. Psalm 95 verses one and two. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. So the, the, this is the inspired psalmist telling us, this is what we do. Let's do this as the people of God. And then in Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So in each one of these, you see that there is this exhortation. There's this encouragement to sing to the Lord. So when we come together, we have this beautiful opportunity to worship the Lord. We have this, this wonderful occasion where all of us together collectively can lift our voices to one another, not in fear that we're going to be criticized by the person next to us, at least we hope we're not, but knowing that we come with the freedom to express our thanks and our praise to God. Now, I, you know, I travel a bit and I get around to different places. And, you know, I have to say that um, I think we're too subdued in, in our worship. Now, as, as some of you know, you know me, you know, I'm not the most um, vivacious person in the room. You know, I'm not, I'm not the most, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not that enthusiastic. You know, I, I'm, I'm really not a cheerleader type of a, of a person. And so I, I am by nature pretty mellow, pretty steady. You know, my, my emotions don't really fluctuate. They don't go up much. They don't go down much, just kind of even keeled. Um, and even at that, sometimes I feel like, man, we got to get some life. We, we got to get some excitement going here. We got to get some uh, vibrancy and some enthusiasm because we're singing to the King of Kings. We're, we're worshiping our Savior. We can be extravagant. We don't have to uh, be so subdued. You know, some, some people think that um, 
you know, some, some people think that the, the melody or even the, um, the key that you play in, or, you know, some, some people think that there are certain things that are, well, that's more spiritual. Some people feel like, oh, we need those slow songs that remind us of, of those really solemn truths in scripture. And that's good at, at, at some point, but, you know, you can kind of just fall asleep during those times if you're not careful. You need, some, you need something to pick you up. And, and the Lord loves that. You know, the very last psalm, Psalm 150, is a, it's talking about clanging cymbals and, you know, all kinds of noise, making a, a noise to the Lord. So what I'm saying is that when we come together, we have this beautiful opportunity just like Mary took the opportunity, we have this beautiful opportunity to actually engage in worship. But we also run the risk of just going through the motions without really engaging. And we can do that. And, and we can do it sometimes because, oh, you know, I don't like the band or I don't like that song or, you know, but we just have to remember that that's not what it's about. You know, I mean, think about it. You come in, you sit down and you're like, oh, I don't like that. So I'm not going to worship. I, I, you know, what? You're not going to worship God because you don't like the song. Well, can't you just worship God despite of the song? But we, we have to remember what we're doing. There's a story that I think, um, it's kind of along these lines, but back in the presidency of Lyndon Johnson, um, they were around a table one time with the staff. And I think it was probably one of the chaplains was there. And they were having a, a prayer time. Um, you know, a chaplain probably closing a meeting in prayer or something. But as he was praying, uh, Lyndon Johnson kind of spoke up in, in kind of a gruff voice. I can't hear you. And the chaplain said, I'm not talking to you. (laughs) And the same principle goes, I don't like that song. Well, we're not singing it to you. We're not singing it for you. It's for the Lord. So we don't want to do that. But then also what we don't want to do, and I have to confess that I do this sometimes, uh, we don't want to just go through the motions you know, you can learn the songs and then you can kind of just, you know, you can just sing through them without even really thinking about what you're singing about. That's why I think it's important to have good, strong lyrical content in our songs, good, strong lyrical content that points us to the truth of God's word and to the truth of who the Lord is. But it is possible to just, you know, you come in and you just your, your, your brain sort of disengages from what's happening. And, and maybe you're, you're actually singing the words to the song, but in your mind, you're somewhere else. That, I, that, that happens to me. So I, I would imagine it, it's happened to you as well. And I'm not here to beat anybody up over it because I do the same thing. But what I'm saying is if we come with an attitude that I have an opportunity this morning or this evening, 
I have an opportunity to express my thanks and my praise to God. And I take that seriously. That's, that's going to change everything. It's going to change the dynamic in the room. It's going to change the dynamic in your life. And that's what Mary did. Mary was there with Jesus and she didn't care what anybody thought. She was going to express her affection to the Lord through this extravagant gift. Now, I, I quoted from the Psalms, but let me give you two other passages from the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says this, through Jesus, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Giving thanks to his name. So, in the, as I said, in the Old Testament, you had this elaborate sacrificial system. The sacrifices were made, and the aroma of the sacrifices would rise up into the heavens. And this was the imagery that, um, and God d- delighted in that aroma. So we don't have a, a, a temple that offers those kinds of sacrifices anymore. How do we sacrifice to the Lord in our day and age, in the church age? How, does, how do the people of God sacrifice to the Lord? Well, this isn't the only way, but this is one way that we offer to God the sacrifice of praise. See, when we come together as a royal priesthood, We come together, and as we are praising the Lord, this is just like what those sacrifices were like in the Old Testament period. But actually, it's even more significant because we're all doing this now in and through Jesus. Those things pointed to Jesus. We are now doing it through Jesus because Jesus, of course, came and fulfilled what those things were um, a shadow of. Um, Peter says this, "'You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation,' God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous or wonderful light. So you see, we are. Israel was, but now the church is that royal priesthood, that holy people. And as that royal priesthood were to offer up the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Mary becomes a beautiful picture for us of someone who does that. So this is where we can learn from Mary. So turn with me over to Luke chapter 10. There's one more passage that Mary appears in. And This passage sheds light on the passage we just read. This this story shows us how it was that Mary could offer such an extravagant gift. How it was that she wasn't moved or phased by the criticism. How it was that she could just freely offer herself. This, this passage shows us how she became that kind of person. So chapter 10, verse 38, Luke's gospel. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. 
And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Wow. Mary. This passage, I can't tell you how many times I've been convicted by this passage over the years. It just brings everything back into perspective. <clears throat> but think about Mary. The context culturally is women don't do this. In this culture, you had the rabbi, the teacher, and you had the students who were men. So when the teacher is teaching, the men are learning and the women are serving. But Mary, Mary's bold. She, she's a young, I would say, she's in her teens, early 20s maybe. And she's bold. She just, she just says, I'm going to sit down <laughs> right in the midst of these men. And I'm, I'm going to listen to what Jesus says. And it says here that she sat at his feet and she heard his words. And the idea is that she heard them with understanding. See, this is the answer to why the disciples were still clueless about the future for Jesus and she was anointing his feet for or she was anointing him for the burial because she understood what he said she listened she was attentive she sat at his feet and she heard him and she took those things to heart and she pondered those things in her heart where they were all confused. Wait a minute. What is he saying? You're going to suffer, die. That, that doesn't fit with what we understand about the Messiah. And what, what, but who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? All of this stuff, this is what they're doing. And Mary's just focused. She's listening. And Jesus says, though, when Martha comes and she's distracted, but notice what Jesus says to her. He says, Martha, you're worried about many things, but one thing is necessary. Listen, we're worried about many things, but one thing's necessary. I was talking to a doctor recently, and uh, the doctor was saying to me that the root cause of so much of, of uh, physically what's happening with people today with illness, he said the root cause is stress. There's so much stress in our world today that it's affecting people's health, literally. And Jesus says to Martha, Basically, Martha, you're just stressed out about everything. But one thing is needed. One thing is needed. What is that one thing? The one thing that's needed is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to hear his word. And Jesus said about, about Mary, he said, she has chosen the better part and that will not be taken from her. 
She has chosen the better part. We will become better worshipers when we choose the better part. You know, there, there's a thing uh, amongst the Presbyterian church. Um, it's it's a, a well-known um, theological document that was written back in the 1600s. And it's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And the Westminster Confession of Faith asks this question, what is the chief end of mankind? And the response is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the chief purpose of our existence, to glorify God and ultimately to enjoy him forever. And as we sit at the feet of Jesus, as we push away the distractions. Now, Martha was distracted. We are easily distracted, aren't we? We live in a world that is so filled with distractions. They're everywhere. And um, we, we have to be intentional about not being distracted. You know, there's statistics. I can't remember the numbers, but I'm guilty of it as well. You know, about how many times a person with a, with a phone uh, looks at their phone a day. And it's like in the thousands. And, and it's true. And I have found myself in that place. I think I told you guys, uh, when I was in Europe for three weeks, my phone was busted. I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know if I should... I didn't know if I should weep or rejoice, <laughs> but I learned to rejoice because <laughs> it was broken. And, but the funny thing was not having a phone for three weeks, I got to watch what everybody else is doing, what I would normally be doing, but I couldn't do it because I didn't have a phone. My phone was broken, but I'm sitting there and I'm watching everybody sitting at tables together, everybody looking at their phones. I don't know if any of you saw that I posted something. I was at my dad's house last Saturday for his birthday, his 80th birthday. And um, my stepmom, she just took a picture of us. We were both looking at our phones, sitting across the table. We were actually looking for something specific. We weren't just, you know, uh, ignoring each other. But um, I jokingly put a little post that um, my dad, wanting to, um, wanting to, uh, maintain relevance in his 80s, he said to me, I made all this up. He, he said to me, son, let's not talk to each other. That's old fashioned. Let's just sit here and look at our phones. And some people thought that he actually really said that. So I was just joking. So no, he didn't say that. Uh, but, but you know how it is nowadays. I mean, you can be in a crowd of people, but you don't ever talk to each other because everybody's busy talking on their or looking at their phone. That's a, that's a huge distraction. And I'm guilty of being distracted, so I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'm just saying that because that's the world we live in, we have to be more intentional. We have to just say, no, there's one thing that's necessary. I need time to sit at the feet of Jesus. Because it's when I do that, that I will become the worshiper that God is seeking. When I sit at his feet, when I hear his words, I'm going to be a worshiper. And so then when I come together with God's people, 
I'm not going to be bored. I'm not going to be upset because I don't like the song or I don't like the band or it's too loud or all of those things. You know, I'm just going to come and say, man, we have an opportunity right now as the people of God to lift up our voices and to praise the Lord. And God delights in that. And that's amazing. And that's what we're going to do. So I want us as a church to just be more engaged in our worship and not to be distracted by those things. So as we put aside the distractions, we engage in worship and listen, it is a beautiful thing to God. But Jesus was so delighted with Mary's offering. He was so delighted. And God delights in the offering, in the sacrifices, in the worship that we give. The worship, first of all, of our lives being dedicated to him. The worship of giving extravagantly, you know, giving even gifts, giving even our, our resources. Our, you know, when we say in the morning, like we did this morning, we're going to worship in giving. That's true. That's part of worship. We're giving. But as we're singing these songs, like we saw in the Psalms, as we're offering up to God the sacrifice of our lips, the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, that's the kind of people that God desires us to be. And so know this, it's a beautiful thing to God and it can't help but benefit us. See, that's the thing. We, we, in the end, are blessed by it. That's the way it always works with God. God is a blessing God. So there's any way you look at it, if you're serving the Lord, if you're worshiping the Lord, if you're loving the Lord, whatever, you know what? Guess what? You're going to get a benefit from it. You're going to get a benefit from it. And, and so the stress and all of those things that we live under, how do I, how do I get freed up from that? Well, worship the Lord. Take the time. Make the time. And, and of course, we can do this anytime, anywhere, right? We can, we can do that. But we have a special opportunity to do it together collectively. So that's why it's important to come together. Because we are benefited from this. There's nothing like just getting your eyes off everything else, focusing on Jesus, really understanding, like Mary did, who he is and what he's doing and what his purposes are. And all the stuff that weighs us down and concerns us and stresses us out, all of that stuff just begins to lift off of us. We get the benefit because it is a beautiful thing. It's beautiful to God and it is beautiful for us as well. So Lord, help us to be true worshipers. Help us, Lord, to be engaged as we come together and as we have these times to lift up our voices to you and sing. Lord, may it not be just a lip service. May it not be lip syncing. May it not be a disengagement of the heart and mind and just uttering words without thought. But Lord, may it be heartfelt and may it be true. And may it be as was Mary's gift. May it be a beautiful thing to you. Lord, you're worthy of so much more than we give you. You're so worthy of all of our praise. 
Lord, if we only knew, help us to know by taking the time. We just know that as Mary did, Lord, as we sit at your feet, as we listen to your words, we're going to understand you better. And we are going to freely worship you more and more. So help us to be that people. Help us to be those people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.